What's up? I'm excited for tonight. Uh, just got to say before I get started, thanks to everyone on the team. Thanks for looking out. I uh, wasn't as present as I would hope to be, and so I know y'all carried a heavier burden, but y'all are awesome. Also, shout out to the Cranberries who performed, who are doing worship today. There's three people who got that. Cranberries used to be an all-girl band. They were sick in the 90s. I mean, Nirvana, Nirvana was afraid of them because they were that awesome. Cranberries, check them out. Zombie. Ginger. Or, was it Ginger? Was that the name of this one? Linger. Linger. But, uh, and then also... Shout out to Taylor for what she had to say before I got up here. I really shouldn't be talking because everything that she said was, don't worry, this is going to be a, not as good as what she said. She, she was awesome. And so thank you for that, Taylor. Thank you for making me look really bad. But uh, I'm really excited. Get to talk about something that's um, someone who's very real to me. And... Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited for the journey that I've been able to go on with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm excited to talk about him tonight. But let's just dive in. So in history, um, ooh, let me make, make sure I pull my timer out. I got a lot of stuff for tonight, but I already used up my um, extremely long sermon card for the last time I spoke. So don't worry, this time I'm just going to cut stuff out. And it will be shorter. Some people are excited. Some people are disappointed to hear that. But the, uh, oh, wow, the timer's still running. I think it's running since the last time I preached. <laughs> it's like, I don't even understand what this 121, 45, there's a lot of numbers in front of these <laughs> seconds. Well, uh, mm, Dang, why didn't I realize that? You are so smart, Charles. So um, what we do, uh, what we do in history today, in history, I'm sorry, what we do just in general today is we really like to idealize the past. We like to look back at a time before today and say, ah, that's when people had this, or that's when things were <laughs> ideal. Even, even Zoe agrees that that this is, this is not good. But we do. We idealize, we idealize the past. All of us do this, too. You've, you've heard it with your parents. You know, you, you know, Lady Gaga or Justin Bieber or someone is talked about, like Lecrae. Shout out to Lecrae. Hey, I thought it was really funny, by the way, just going back, getting way off subject. But uh, I noticed a lot of y'all took pictures with Lecrae when y'all went to the concert, and he only smiled with one group of y'all. And Ashley was in that group, and I couldn't help but think, I'm sure that Ashley did something goofy to make him laugh. And that's why, that's why Ashley was very excited that she heard me say that. We love Ashley. Ashley's, Ashley's so red right now. <laughs> but it is, it's really cool that y'all got to meet Lecrae. He's, he's awesome, and he's a lot taller than you would think, isn't he? But, um... He, yeah, he makes everyone look short. He's a big dude. It's yeah. like eight feet tall. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but back to idealizing the past. Dang, still has the VIP. I, need, I really need to stay on subject. Back to idealizing the past. We see it with our family and our, and our friends and stuff. We go and we bring up artists today, and then what do our parents do? Ah, oh, that's not real music. Or somebody older says, that's not real music. I'll tell you what real music was. Real music was a Temptations. Real music was Madonna. Real, real music was Frank Sinatra. Like they, they look back at someone in the past and they say, that's real music. Because to them, the past was the ideal. And today, the, what we see around us isn't, isn't ideal. We do, we do this as Christians as well. We do this in the church. We look back at a period in the past and we say, ah, that's, that's when things, the way that they did it was the way that we ought to do it. We, we're not doing it well because we don't look like them. You know, people bring up the Puritans. They bring up the first, the second great awakening here in America. Or 
I think the one you hear it the most with and the one that I, even I've said it before is like the early church. The early church was the ideal, the church of Acts. That was the way that we need to look today. If we don't look like them, then we're doing something wrong. Yet it's really funny because, you know, we're doing this series and we're going through Corinthians. And this is a church with a lot of problems, a whole lot of problems. I mean, they got, we've already said it, they had, they had incest, open incest, not just known inside the church, a dude sleeping with his mom, not just known within the church, but known outside the church. They had, the, they, they, had, they had a whole lot of things going on, a lot of problems, so much so that they looked more like the town that was around them rather than looking like the church. They had taken on the, the spirit of where they lived, and we talked about how Corinth, Corinth was a pretty corrupt place, so much so that to Corinthianize, that was actually a verb. It became a Greek verb, which means to, to live promiscuously. Like, this is a rough place, and, and the church was in, in a pretty rough state. And so when Paul writes to them, he's writing to a church with a lot of problems, and he's trying to fix these problems. But, you know, we thank God for, for his grace, and we thank God for his love, because God didn't give up on this church, and ne- neither did Paul. And it's interesting, because... You know, we talk about, oh, man, the Church of Acts. They really had it together. They really did it right. But we look at this church, and if any of us were inside this church today, we wouldn't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't stay more than one week. We'd be out of there so quick. We would tell people not to go back there. And this is the, church, this is the place that we're talking about, Corinthians, the Church of Corinth. And I just think it's so interesting. I've always enjoyed this saying, and... I just think it's so accurate. If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it, because then you'll mess it up. (laughs) It's true, because where there's people, there's mess. It's not going to be, no church is going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. No church. I'm not perfect. Our Kyle isn't perfect. Founder isn't perfect. No church in town is perfect. Your home church isn't perfect. Your pastor isn't perfect back home. But thank God for his grace and his mercy on us. And thank God that we can have grace and mercy on one another as well, you know? Paul Paul was trying to fix a lot of problems in this church. And one of the problems was a problem that they brought up specifically to him. In 1 Corinthians 12.1, they write to him on some subjects. And they ask for his help. And one of these was spiritual gifts in the Holy Spirit. They were trying to understand it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1, it says, Paul says, now about the gifts of the Spirit. And I like what the King James Version says there, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. This is uh, not, it's a controversial subject in the church today. I hope I can do it justice or do him justice. I'll just be real. I'll be honest. I'll say what I believe. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight. I think it's a great night to have a lot of scripture. And then, if any of you are interested in the scriptures that I have, because we're going we're gonna to go a little fast, I'm going to put them up on Facebook, on our WVU uh, Facebook page, and then you can go back and look at the scriptures if you want. And I added some more that aren't going to be used tonight. And so, before I go any further, I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. I resisted you for a long time. I pray, Lord God, that I wouldn't say anything tonight that would cause anyone to stumble. Open up our hearts. Help us to be willing to what your scripture says. We want to obey you, and we want to be open to you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start off with some scripture. Luke 3, 
talks about Jesus' baptism and John the Baptist. This is what John the Baptist had to say about Jesus, and then this is his baptism. It says in verse 15, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than me will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was and he was praying. Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a, sp- and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then fast forward to towards the end of Jesus' life. He says this in John 14, verses 15 through 17 and 25 through 27. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The word cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And he lives with you, and he will be in you. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything that I said to you. I have a few more scriptures, but I'm not going to read those. Going to jump to Acts one four through five, what which Taylor already read. Do not. This is right before Jesus ascended. He's already he already rose from the dead, and this is this is literally right before he he ascended. He said, "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about." For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. My experience with the Holy Spirit was growing up, nothing. Nothing at all. Silence. The Holy Spirit to me was like that family member that you have that you never see, but you hear about once every four years, like that aunt or uncle or cousin that you, you know they exist, but you don't really know anything about them. And because you, you, you saw them like once when you were like two or, or four or something, every time you think of them, it's just mystery. And it's kind of shady because you're like, well, what are they into? No one knows about them. How is it that, you know, this is my dad's brother and he doesn't even know much about this person at, at all? That was my experience with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was never talked about. The gifts of the Spirit were never talked about. I literally grew up in church. And when I say I grew up in church, I'm saying we missed four, four Sundays a month. I mean a year, a month. That means I never went to church. I was a creaster. No, no, we really, we missed about four Sundays a year. Like, we, like I grew up in church. And sometimes I was in church multiple times a week. And I never heard about the Holy Spirit. The only reason I actually knew who the Holy Spirit was, was because, uh, when I got to college was because I had seen some people get baptized. And they say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That was literally everything I knew. So I get to college, and I hear about the Holy Spirit. And it was kind of interesting for me because I'm like, I'm hearing people, people in Chi Alpha, people outside Chi Alpha talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm hearing some people who I really respect, like uh, Ravi Zacharias and A.W. Tozer. I'm hearing these guys that I look up to talk about the Holy Spirit and talk about this thing like the baptism of the Spirit. I'm like, man, what is all of this about? And the closer or the more that I heard about the Holy Spirit and the more that I read, the more uncomfortable I got. The more I was like, ah, you know what? I don't think I want anything to do with any of this. This is kind of strange to me because... For me, it wasn't presuppositions that I had. It wasn't me trying to hold on to what my denomination said. It wasn't me holding on to the opinion of my pastor and what he taught me. For me, it was just, I was just uninformed. And because I was uninformed, the Holy Spirit, when it talks about him in scripture, there is change that happens in people's lives when he's talked about. And I didn't feel comfortable with change. I don't think anybody feels comfortable with change. Change is scary. Change, change leads, help, makes you think about the unknown. I, I, 
because I was uninformed, I was like, I, I don't know if I want anything to do with this. And so I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the journey that I've been, been able to go on with the Holy Spirit. But I'll come back to that. Those scriptures that I just read, I'm just, I just want to emphasize this point quickly and briefly. That's just the exact same thing. But Jesus makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit and him are different. And he makes it very clear that he is leaving and going somewhere. And there is another coming. And this is really interesting because it brings a lot of confusion today in the church. Because a lot of people talk about Jesus as if he is the Holy Spirit. But there is a clear difference. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is not here anymore. After Pentecost, the disciples of the apostles, Paul, everyone talks about receive the Holy Spirit. They don't say receive Jesus. Go back and read it. They say, receive the Holy Spirit. They make it clear that it is another that is supposed to come upon us. Back when Jesus was here, you could invite him into your own home. You could give him food. You could do these things, but you can't do that today. The one who you invite into your heart today is the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who is with us here today. But let's keep going. Taylor read earlier, Acts 4 through 5. I don't mind reading it again. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised you. You have heard me speak about it, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John talked about it, we read earlier on, that there was going to be a baptism when Jesus came, another baptism beyond just water. And Jesus says it here as well. We need the Holy Spirit. Not only did Jesus say that there is another that will come, but he also makes it clear that we need him. Why does he make that clear? Because he told them not to do anything else. They were with him for three years, and he still didn't think that they were prepared to go and take his gospel out to the world. He said, there is one more thing I want you to do. That one more thing is to wait for the baptism of my Holy Spirit that is so interesting. Jesus did not think they were ready yet. He wanted them to wait. There is a difference between the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, I almost said 1 Corinthians John 3.16. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in, in your midst. And Jesus said earlier, we had already read it in John 14. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Why does he say this? Why does he say that he has another advocate that's going to be with them, yet tell them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When you look at Acts 8, and Acts 19. I'm going to go ahead and read both of these. It, talks, it says in Acts 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not heard anything. We have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told, you, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And in Acts 5 through 17, we're not going to read all of it, 5 5 through 8, and then 14 through 17. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, 
and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new, new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. John made it clear. Jesus makes it clear. And here we have it. Luke makes it clear as he writes Acts. There are two baptisms, not one. One baptism is a baptism of water. The other baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One baptism, as Taylor already said, is about cleansing. It's about a public confession. And as we are taken into the water, God does a spiritual thing in us where he goes and cleanses us. He, remo he removes, but he does not fill. There is another baptism that implies a filling. There were two baptisms that John talks about, two baptisms that Jesus talked about. And this is a this is something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I'm just I'm just gonna say it. There's a lot of people who don't want to accept this. And what happens is they're the Christians who have been saved, but they are not filled with anything. And so because they're not filled with anything, they're I don't Christians. I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. But the baptism is not about, it's not about what you don't do, it's about what you do do. It's about what happens afterwards. One baptism takes care of the past, the other baptism takes care of the future. That's just what scripture is saying. I'm just going to say it one more time because this is the first time I've ever or say it not, but, but pray, because this is the first time I've ever talked about the Holy Spirit in this sense. And so this is new for me. Lord Jesus, help me to hide behind your scripture. I don't want to say my own words. I just want to hide behind your shadow tonight. Speak to us. Jesus' name. So a few weeks ago, uh, first, before I say that, who likes check engine lights? He has one. I know Christopher has one. Some of y'all probably have one. I had one for like five months. I hate check engine lights. I, I think they are like, they, they are terrible. If anybody doesn't think check engine lights are terrible, then you just don't see. They are so bad. The worst, like a check engine light doesn't tell you anything except there's a problem. You go, you're driving, and then all of a sudden, a, all of a sudden, a check engine light comes on, which means that it could be one. It is one of a possible 340,000 different problems that could be could be with your car. You have no idea, and so because of this uncertainty, you're like, "Well, I know there's a problem, but I don't. I don't want to take it to a mechanic because then they're going to be like, I mean, my experiences with mechanics is, oh, well, your check engine light is on, not because you have this problem, but because you have these 14 other problems, and it's going to take about 2,600 dollars to fix. Are you ready? And I'm like, what? Uh, no. <laughs> that, like, no one likes check engine lights. I had one come on, like, six months ago. I said six, five months ago, something like that. Came on, me and Katie noticed it. And it's crazy because we noticed quickly that my car, it didn't have, like, power. It had trouble going up hills. And so Falling Run, 8th Street, Beechhurst, towards the Coliseum, it would, like, start making this sound and like it's just like what what's going on and at first i wanted to be terrified it's like it sounds like the transmission but it's a standard uh, i'm it's a manual and so no transmission there so that, that's not the issue shout out to all the people who drive manuals aren't they so much better so much better than automatics it's like anybody who's like i don't know once you drive it you'll never go back you really won't but so last month, you know, I drove Holden and Jordan and a few other people. Who else was in the car? There was one other person in the car. John. Well, John came on the way back. Was it just us three of the way going up? Yeah. 
don't tell Damani that, that we drove together because he, he's still trying to figure it out. But, uh, <laughs> but, but we drive to a winter retreat, and the whole drive, I can hear my car like struggling to go over the mountains. So I'm like, jeez, man, this car is having some real issues. And after that, after that trip, I, my car hobbled back to Morgantown. I was like, okay, we've got to fix this. I go and take it. Well, before I take it to a mechanic, I asked Justin Myers, pastor of the foundry, to look at it because he's brilliant when it comes to cars. And basically, he figures out that it's probably the spark plugs. And instead of having four cylinders, because it's a four-cylinder car, it's operating on three cylinders. And so it's not operating at full strength. That is what it is like to be a Christian without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not operating at full strength. Doesn't mean you're not going to be saved. Doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean that, you know, God hates you. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that there is a power that Jesus and many in scripture point to. God wants to fill you with a power, a power so that you can love him better, so that you can have a better chance of overcoming sin around you, and so that you can, like Taylor said, overflow to impact other people, not just yourself. And when you operate without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will always be a three-cylinder, you will always be a four-cylinder car operating on three cylinders. You will not be at full strength. The best, the best example I could give of this, I wanted to tell many stories, but I'm not going to tell many stories. I'm only going to tell this one of a friend. Y'all have heard me mention him before, D.L. Moody. Historians would probably say the greatest American evangelist in American history. That American was kind of redundant, but dude was a big deal. I'm going to read a little bit of his account of, and this is, I'm going to start, don't, don't switch the slide yet, because I'm going to start with some stuff that isn't actually in the slide. He said, in 1871, Dio Moody had basically, he had been, he was already ministering to people. He already had built his own church, but he noticed that there were these two women who sat in the front of his church who were always praying. And then he walked up to them one day and he said, hey, why are y'all always praying during a sermon? You should be listening to the sermon. It's like they're sitting right here and they're always praying, never looking up the whole time like they're asleep. And then he's like, why are y'all always doing this? And they said, Mr. Moody, we're praying that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, why are you praying for me? You should be praying for other people. And they said, because you need power. In his mind, he thought, why do I need power? I've already had a successful Sunday school that had 2,000 boys who were a part of it around the city. I've already built a church. I've already been an, I'm already a well-known evangelist who's known across most of the nation. What, what, what power do I need? And then he said, you know what? I've read about this in Scripture. Please pray with me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they prayed over him. Afterwards, he left and went to New York, and this is what he said. There came a great hunger into my soul when I visited New York. I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day, in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I, had to, that I had to ask him to stay his hand, basically to stop pouring out a spirit on him. I went on preaching again, and the sermons were no different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now, I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would seem as small as du the dust of balance. I tell you, it is a sad day when someone believes in Jesus, gets baptized, and that's the last you hear of them. He just said, it's a sad day when someone stops with baptism, and that's the last you hear of them. 
what if, what if the disciples didn't listen to Jesus? What if they didn't wait in that upper room? What if they said, ah, oh, what, what are my friends going to think about this seemingly new theology or this new doctrine? Man, Jesus, we, this didn't even, what does this mean? Hey, Jesus, we have too much work to do. We have too many people that need to be saved to wait for this power that you're talking about. We don't even know what this is about. Why? What if they just, what if they just stopped and didn't listen to him? How sad would it be today? My last section or last point is about the gifts of the Spirit. Not only did Jesus say another would come after him, not only do we need the filling of the Holy Spirit, but the last thing is about the gifts of the Spirit. And I didn't know how to put this in here, so I'm just going to say it briefly. I hope it makes sense. Jonathan Edwards said this. Jonathan Edwards was probably the greatest American theologian in American history. He was brilliant. In fact, some historians say that he was one of the greatest American minds in general in any sphere of influence or field of whatever. This dude was brilliant. And he said this, and it is so good. He said, never judge a philosophy based on its abuses. Judge it rather on its purest example. Why does that apply to us? Because a lot of people have presuppositions based on abuses that they've seen regarding what we're about to talk about. And that's what they let define their idea of the gifts of the Spirit. But we can't do that. We, we have to judge on the ideal example, on what it was supposed to be, not on who messed it up. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. You're like, man, we didn't even talk about Corinthians. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of workings, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then, a little bit more scripture, John fifteen twenty six and 27. When the Advocate comes, he will send you from the Father. He, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John sixteen fourteen. he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The reason I'm reading all that to you is just to make this one point clear. Jesus makes it clear. Paul points it out. If you go back and you look at what he says, there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. All the gifts of the Spirit are about service. The Corinthian church had an issue. People had the gifts of the Spirit, but they were using them for their own glory. They, re- they made them about themselves. So, Paul has to correct it. Paul has to point them back to the scripture and say, hey, Jesus said this, and this is the way that it is. The gifts of the Spirit are not about you. It's about building up the people around you. That's that's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. They're to help us to be able to serve him better, to be able to serve him well, to be able to serve him in power. I didn't know how to put these in here, so I'm just going to kind of read them off. These are just a few facts about the gifts of the Spirit, and I wish that I could go into them. Shame, shame on me because I can't spend more time on them, but this is really like, this sermon is really should be like three different sermons, but it's just one. Some gifts are permanent, and others are for special occasions and for seasons. I know some people who, they can, they, they, they've prayed over people and people have been healed, but they don't always pray. That doesn't happen often. I know other people who frequently they pray over people and people are healed. Also, there's nothing in Scripture that says that the gifts should, not, should be operating in one age and not in another. Some people say that the gifts of the Spirit are dead. I don't know why Jesus would spend a lot of time talking about something that isn't going to be around that long. And it's really interesting because 
just as we go through the gifts of the Spirit, this is just my opinion. It's really interesting how some of us in the church want to say that certain gifts of the Spirit aren't around anymore, but we sure do want certain ones to still be around. We want words of knowledge. We want wisdom. We want teaching. But no one wants prophecy or tongues because, well, that's just not as sexy. That's just me, though. Also, the gifts of the Spirit aren't the fruit of the Spirit. Those are two different things. One has to do with character. One has to do with an an endowment of power. One has to do with who you are as a person and the character of person that you are. The other one has to do with the power that you receive in order to do a specific service. Like love. Love is mentioned as one of the fruit of the Spirit, but it's not mentioned as one of the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because everyone's supposed to love. Everyone. That's not an option. I can't get away with saying, I just don't have the gifting of love, so that's why I'm a jerk to you. <laughs> Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, he lists them off. To, to, to one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same spirit to another a gift of healing by healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing spirits or a spirit of discernment to another speaking in different tongues the greek word is languages speaking in different languages and to still another an interpretation of tongues or languages all of these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I want to go through all these, but I'm not. For time's sake, I'm going to skip around. Message of wisdom and teach, uh, wisdom and knowledge. Just to put him on the spot, Sean. Sean has been given a word of knowledge sometimes for people. If you ever have any questions about that, you should ask him. He wouldn't mind telling you about that. A spirit of wisdom, a spirit of knowledge. If you go and read about Daniel in the Bible, you'll notice that he, even Nebuchadnezzar, notices just how unique his ability of wisdom is. Some people have, it's, it's not about how much they've learned. It's a special ability given to them by God to be able to have distinct wisdom and distinct knowledge in certain situations. Sometimes it's a spirit of faith. Abraham, that dude had some faith. He had some exceptional faith. There are some people who have an extraordinary amount of faith, an amount of faith that leaves you shamed. And then it says the gift of healing. This is really interesting because some people say, ah, that's not around anymore. It's really interesting when they say that to someone who's been healed. What are you going to say to the person, oh, you weren't really healed? You didn't really have that problem? The doctors didn't really say that you had cancer or had this problem? Or no, that limb really did exist even though you could never use your hand? I think it's interesting, though. I will say this. Paul traveled with a physician, Luke, yet he talks about this power of healing. These are two different things. There is a skill, a skill of being able to be a physician, and that is a great thing. And then there's another thing that is only, it only, um, I forgot the word. Uh, It starts with a C. You know when you wear a nice outfit and you have something that like helps make it look better? Compliments it. Thank you. Compliments. The gift of healing complements that. They work together. They're not enemies of one another. Miracles, the miraculous. This is really interesting, and it leaves a lot of commentators like up in the air like, man, what does that mean? Because miraculous kind of points to several of these. This is just somebody who has miracles that follow them wherever they go and all different types. Francis Xavier, St. Francis Xavier, anybody who's a Catholic, if you've ever, ever read about him, the stuff that happened in his life is freaky. And he had many different types of miracles follow him. When you read Paul, he not only has like, he has all different types of miracles happening around him. They just happen. 
It just, it just can't even be explained. And then, last on the list, well, not last, then there's prophecy. Prophecy is not just telling the future, but it's also being able to discern what the will of God is in a situation and to be able to declare that. It's really freaky when you are around someone who has the gift of prophecy. I've had someone, prof- I've had a couple people prophesy over me. And both times it was really weird because I was like, man, there was one guy, in fact, I'll just tell the story. There was one guy in the Netherlands on a mission trip. He prophesied over me. This man didn't even speak English, but he prophesied over me, and he said stuff about me that only a handful of people in this world know. What are you going to tell me that he read my Facebook page in Dutch before? That stuff wasn't on Facebook. How did he know that stuff? How did he say some things regarding where I would be today and in the future? How is it that those things have all come to pass? Are you going to tell me that wasn't, that wasn't miraculous? Come on. Prophecy is real. These are, these are all real. And the gifts of tongues. This is real interesting because it's last on the list, but it seems to be first in controversy. The gift of tongues. Paul said... I'll say it. Paul said that the gifts of tongues, he said he prays in the spirit every day. That's what he said, in, said to the church in Corinth. But he said tongues, and I'll read the scripture later on, but he said tongues are you speaking to God, not to man. Some of y'all know this, or some of y'all don't, most of y'all, I mean, none of y'all know this. I pray in the spirit. I pray, I pray in the spirit. I, I pray in the spirit almost daily. Y'all don't know this because I don't, I don't talk to y'all about that. It's not for y'all. If I did it to be seen, then they'd be abusing it. It used to be a time when I didn't want tongues. I didn't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit specifically because of tongues. And I was like, ah, Lord, some of the stuff about the Holy Spirit I'm interested in, but do I have to speak in tongues? And then I came across the scripture. Matthew 7, 9 through 12, Jesus said, Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those, give good gifts to those who ask him? I had this fear for the longest time that if I was baptized in the Spirit, that I'd speak in tongues. And that if I speak in tongues, I'll, I'd get weird. I'd just be strange. I'd be, like, speaking in tongues everywhere I went, you know? Like, I'd, I'd go, and someone's like, hey, Jordan, how you doing? And then the only thing I could do was answer in tongues, you know? And so I'd be like, man, this, I don't want that. I, I, don't, I, I don't want that. It, it seems strange. It seems different. It seems not, like, like sometimes I'm like, man, God, why, why this? Why is this? Why is this a big deal to you? Why do you want to give this a gift? This doesn't even sound like a gift. It sounds like a curse. Just, it does. And if some of y'all haven't thought that, then you are just more noble than me. But December 30th, 2011. Really? Man, it's a, that's a sign. <laughs> I don't know if it's really a sign. I'm just saying that. But December 30th, 2011, Christopher is doing a boom snap because I resisted for years many, many years, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one day I just said, Lord, I don't know, but yes, whatever this looks like, whatever it is, I just say yes to you. Went to, I went and uh, had some people pray over me after a session on the Holy Spirit at, at a conference I was at. I didn't know who was praying over me. But I found out that it was Christopher afterwards. And then something came out of me. Just as Taylor said, a language that to this day I still, not, I still don't know. And I prayed in the spirit. And I, I was flooded, flooded with a joy and an assurance of God's love in a way, I, I, sometimes I wish 
that I could go back and do it all over again, just so I could experience it one more time. It was so real. And sometimes when I have doubts like, man, Lord, was that real? I remember that. I remember how thick his love was and that experience. I pray in the spirit. I pray in tongues. And like Paul said, I don't say that to anyone because it's not for you. It's to edify myself. He said it's better to prophesy if you're in church because that edifies the church. And to pray in the spirit edifies the person. I don't think Paul said all this to emphasize that this is a really cool thing that you should do since it's around for these next 40 or so years. He's talking about something that's forever until a time when we don't need the gifts of the spirit anymore because we'll be in heaven. And then people like, like me will be outside of a job or not outside of a job, but out of a job. There won't be any evangelists. There won't be any missionaries. There won't be any people who need to pray over people for healing because we'll be with resurrected bodies in a place where there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's what my Bible says. As I, uh, as I finish up, I want to say this about the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are signs. Signs to point to another. Not to point back to ourselves. They're like spotlights. They help bring attention to, to Christ. But how weird would it be to have a gift and then to use it only for yourself? That's like putting a mirror in front of a spotlight to flash it back on yourself. First of all, you'd look really stupid setting that up. (laughs) And then you wouldn't be using the spotlight correctly. The gifts of the Spirit are signs to help people like that man in the Netherlands who, when I had a totally different career path, a totally different opinion of myself, totally different a lot of things, he spoke some things over me that changed me forever because I still to this day am amazed that he said some stuff about me that no one knew except for a handful of people and no one on that trip knew it no one at Sam Houston knew that stuff the last thing I want to say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an opportunity what does Jesus say in Revelations behold I stand at your door and knock he does not say, behold, I blow your door down and make, or make a Jesus-shaped hole in it so I can come in whenever I want. It's an opportunity. If you say yes to the opportunity, you will have the opportunity to be a Christian operating on four cylinders at full power. If you say no, The only person that will miss out will be you and the people around you who God wants you to love. If anyone feels guilt tonight, you didn't hear me. If anyone is, well, you didn't hear me correctly because that, this is an opportunity. This is not a, no one's forcing you to do anything. The band, y'all can go ahead and come up. If anyone tonight is, uh, if anyone tonight is holding on to what I held on to for so long, which is just this, this whatever, this resistance to the gifts, to the Holy Spirit, to what is said in Scripture, I encourage you to go and read Scripture I encourage you to look at every word. I'm, this, this sermon will be, it'll be on podcast. You'll have, you'll have all of these scriptures that I mentioned and more on Facebook. Go and search the scriptures for yourself. This, was not a, this is not a Chi Alpha sermon. This is not an Assemblies of God denomination sermon. This is a study of scripture and personal assurance and belief about what, what scripture says about what it means to be a Christian. This is, this is much bigger than a denomination. And it's a really sad thing, and I'll just say this, that 
we have made it so that denominations distinguish whether our denomination is going to be open to the Holy Spirit because there used to be a day, there used to be a day when people all across different denominations were all open to the Holy Spirit. The founder of the Methodist, go and read what he said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody, associated with the Baptist Church. Jonathan Edwards talks about his experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he was a Congregationalist, and they were intertwined with the Presbyterians. This is not a denominational issue. This is for the whole church. I'm going to pray. Lord God, help us to say yes. Open up our minds and our hearts. Let us put aside all presuppositions. Help us to operate at all four cylinders. Give us willing spirits that just say yes. Yes to what you have detailed in scripture. Help us, Lord God, not to not to make decisions based on what we've heard, but not studied for ourselves. Help us not to make decisions based on denominational ties rather than what your scripture says. Help us, Lord God, not to worry about the opinions of friends or family members so much so that we don't say yes to what you say in scripture. Give us hearts that long, just as D.L. Moody did, for your spirit. And we pray, Lord God, that you would come and you would meet us through your spirit and baptize us so that we can love this campus well because lord god we can't lord god we are weak and we cannot reach this campus without you there is no hope <laughs> there is no hope for what we're trying to do and who we're trying to love if we don't have your power we need you lord god because you told us here that we needed you and we this is this was your method for how you were going to help us do this for you just pray this in Jesus name Lord God in Jesus name <laughs>